Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. If you're brand new, I'm Tyler. Uh, I'm the pastor here. Uh, We are finishing off a series titled, What's the Big Deal? Everybody say, what's the big deal? One more time. My, gosh, 39, my 17 years of full-time ministry, I have people always ask me, what's the big deal with worship? What's the big deal with small groups? What's the big deal? You're always telling us to read our Bible. And so I thought, why not do a series to show you the Word of God and how important these things are to God and they should be to you? They may have been at the bottom of the list. Let's just be honest. It's so easy to get sidetracked. It's so easy to um, have the world kind of uh, drift us to something else and have us focus on something else and be like, how in the world has it been two weeks and I haven't read my Bible? How in the world is it that my screen time says six hours on Instagram, but I can't read my Bible for five minutes? You know who you is. I'll pray for you right now. All right. I, I, want, I want to create an app that has Instagram and then a Bible verse in between each picture. You know what I'm saying? You can read through the Bible in a week, I bet. You know what I'm saying? Um, I said it. I said it. Um, and so I, the very first illustration I shared uh, a few months ago with what's a big deal is that uh, God is a builder and he uh, is building a house. And I remember when we were uh, remodeling our house that we got and there was pillars I wanted to take out, but I had an expert come in and say, if you move that pillar, the house crumbles. And, and the reality is, is God is the expert. You are not the expert. Uh, and we think we're pretty smart, but to be honest, we're actually sheep and sheep aren't very smart. The shepherd's really smart. And what God wants to do throughout his word, you see, is he wants to bring the kingdom of God to you and I. And so the culture that I'm trying to preach is not mission church culture. We're just a, a, a small part of the big story. I want to bring kingdom culture to, to this area. And kingdom culture has things that they say, that's a big deal in our culture. Woo, community, we treasure it. Prayer, we treasure it. The word of God, we treasure it. We guard it. Oh, the, today's uh, message, the one we're going to talk about, the one that maybe has been on your list here, and I'm praying at the end of this series, it's up here, is worship. So the time of message is, what's the big deal? Wicka, wicka, kia. I was going to do a long time. I was like practicing like, um, worship. What's the big deal, worship? Uh, some of you are excited the series is ending because my rap uh, scene is ending, but whatever. Um, that was the last, that was in my rap. Uh, now, I'm going to double down on this illustration. Uh, you ever um, uh, have a big meeting or a big trip the next day and you set like four alarms? Anybody else do that? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Rachel and I were going to Paris. Italy, our one time to Europe, I remember like, hey, we cannot forget this. We were setting alarms, reminders. Um, not only that, we had to pack a suitcase um, that was uh, one that we could travel in because we wanted to get on trains. And the reality is, if you know my wife and most people, um, if we're going someplace overnight or three days, she pulls out our big Samsonite suitcase and fills it up. I'm like, what are you grabbing? She's like, trust me, I need all of this. Like, we're going to be there for a day. She's like, just stop, Tyler. You know, um, anybody else do the just stop? And so then I'm like, all right. So I've surrendered the big suitcase case. Well, so Europe, we were like, we got to bring a small suitcase so we can travel. I thought this was the Red Sea being split in our marriage. Like, can God do this? Can God show Rachel what she can pack and can't pack? And I'm here to report she did it. Like, she packed in a small suitcase. And uh, yeah, give it up for my girl. Come on now. Um, Now, she may have bought another suitcase in Europe to pack back. (laughs) My girl found a, she found a loophole. She got me. She got me. But what it showed me was that we pack so many things we don't need to pack. When you really pack the necessities, it's it, you're light on your feet. You can get anywhere and get everywhere. 
But what the enemy does is he tries to sell you a lot of things that are a big deal. You gotta pack this or else you're not gonna have a good trip. And what reality is is that a lot of us have a lot of extra baggage and, and it's holding us back from getting to where we're supposed to be. And so this series, what I've been trying to do as a good pastor is to empty your bag of the baggage of this world and give you the yoke that is light, the burden that is easy, the light bag that you can walk anywhere. And that's why we're having this series. Does that sound good? So worship's not gonna make your life heavier. Ooh, it's gonna lighten your life up. Community's not gonna make your life heavier. It's gonna propel you. So what's the big deal, worship? What's the big deal, worship? If I could just uh, put it this way, if you wanna get through valleys in your life, you better learn how to worship. You better learn about worship. I, Tim Keller, one of my favorite pastors in all the world, when he uh, got cancer, it was his biggest storm. And in this room, all of us have different things that are the, the biggest storm of our life. And cancer was his, and he went to remission, and it came back and forth. He's still alive, but he's still fighting it. And he said that if he wouldn't have had worship in his life, he doesn't know how he would have got through that season. He said, out of all the things, you know, he goes, I read my Bible, I know, I pray, but he's like, but there's something about what worship would do to me. When I would be in my lowest valleys, I would get out of those valleys. So many people are stuck in the valley. So many people are stuck in a place. You gotta learn how to worship out of it. Uh, another thing is you need to learn to worship. You need to learn how to worship to get you through success. Like, get through success? Well, but that's not, I don't need to get through it. No, let, hear me out. Christians are not so much in danger when they are persecuted as when they are admired. I had a mentor tell me that they've seen success kill more Christian leaders than failure. You know, the church explodes when we're being persecuted, but the church actually suffers uh, to grow when it's uh, in a comfortable place. Because when you start to succeed, you start to actually believe your own mail. What people tell you, you're amazing. Oh my gosh, tell me how you did it, you know? And you're like, here's the 10 ways that I did this. And, and we start to actually think that we did it. And the reality is, is you didn't do anything. That grace sustained you and grace saved you and, and God's spirit led you and God put you in a place to set you up to win. Oh, he did all of it. So you need to learn how to worship and not take yourself so seriously. Another thing you need to learn uh, why worship is so important is you need to learn how to worship to get through this pandemic. So I'm gonna keep it real with you. You know, the number one phrase in the Bible is do not fear. Out of all the things in the Bible, over and over again, do not fear, do not fear. There's something that happens in worship where fear is replaced with faith. Fear is replaced with promises instead of the pressures of this world. And again, I, I think that we should be a reverent of things, but man, fear is gripping our, our nation. Because the reality is what you worship is what you become. And so if you're worshiping the wrong things, it just grips you. Last but not least, you need to worship just to make it through today. Yeah. Just today. You, you, you got, I'll just be honest with you. We all get spun up way too easily. I'll, I'll share a story on my own, and I'll, I'll never forget. It was about uh, eight months ago um, uh, during the pandemic, of course. We were kind of shut down, so there wasn't a lot to do, so I was running and walking a lot. And I'm on my way back from my run, and I'm just walking, and out of nowhere, a bee stings me right on my neck, okay? And I've been stung like 20 years. And then another bee flies in. I didn't know it was a stinger. I was like, ow, oh, what is that? You know, it was like one of those moments, and then I, get, I, I hear a bee in my ear, stings me right on my ear. I lose it. So I, I'm allergic to chicken. If I eat chicken, I'll die. So I have anaphylactic shock. And I was like, am I going to get anaphylactic shock? So I start like, I'm going to die. I call Rachel, get the Benadryl out. Get the EpiPen. I've been, and she's like, what's wrong? I've been stung by bees. Bees. You know, and she's like, Tyler, are you okay? I was like, I was like, just get it ready. I'll be on my way home. I'm not sure if I'm going to swell. I think I'm going to die. I'm not sure. Like everything, you know? And so I'm like literally walking. People in our neighborhood, a lot of dog walkers neighbor, they like see me. I'm sweating. And they're like, hey, Tyler. Ah! You know? And they're like, what's wrong with that guy? I may have overreacted a little bit. Okay. Um, so Rachel, we were, what's so funny is how this story even came to my message was Rachel, we were just driving uh, to, uh, this week and Rachel goes, do you remember when you flipped out about the bees? And I was like, yeah, I remember. She's like, I've never seen you that weird and crazy, you know? And I was like, I thought I was going to die. So she's at the door and she's like, Tyler, are you okay? It's like, a bee stung me. I don't know what else. So, so I call Joey. He's, he's my childhood buddy, uh, one of my best buddies. And, and he's a doctor. And I call him like, Joey, Joey. He's like, what? What's wrong? What's wrong? I was like, I got stung by bees. What do I do? 
go get an ice cube and put it on your bee sting. <laughs> That's it? He's like, yeah. I was like, what, am I going to die? He's like, can you breathe? Yes, you're going to be fine. <laughs> Thank you, doctor. I remember hanging up, and I remember flipping out and just, I mean, losing all respect for my wife for about 10 minutes. Um, but she was kind. She was gracious. Uh, I did survive. Now, again, like, because I've been in the ER, and I've been puking up blood and almost died because of chicken, I went there. Now you feel kind of bad, don't you, for laughing? Yeah, 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 okay. The reality is, is that uh, when you get spun up in life, you need somebody, like a doctor, to tell you, relax. Go get a little bit of ice, you're gonna be just fine. Are you breathing? Yes. Can you still, are you, can you still walk? Yeah, you're good? Okay, you're gonna be just fine. The reality is, is that we see one news article, we hear one person say this, we have somebody cut us off, somebody thinks differently from us, and then we're like, and then you start to worship God. And if you're not worshiping daily, what happens is, is worship makes the right things big and the right things small. But when you're not worshiping correctly, a lot of things get way too big in your life and you flip out. So you need to worship to make it through today. I'm going to pray. And uh, I've got three points uh, in my message today. One is, what is worship? We're going to talk about that. Second one we're going to talk about is, why don't we worship? And the third one is, is waking up to worship. Yes, this message is brought to you by the letter W, okay? Um, I don't know what's up with me and making things start with the same letter, but it is what it is, okay? Will you bow your heads with me? God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the, um, just the promises. Oh, Lord, from Genesis to Revelation, it is a love story of you redeeming mankind from their failures to have a relationship with us. You're such a good God. You're such a sovereign God. You're such a redeeming God. And so, Lord, I pray that my words would follow the floor and your words would soar. I pray I'd get out of the way today that we would see in your word, your truth, and your truth would transform us and set us free. Lord, we love you. We love you. Everybody said? So the reality is, is that if you asked a bunch of people that have been going to church for a long time or have been to church a little bit or brand new church, and you asked them, what is worship? You would get so many different answers. And that's why we do this series, because we shouldn't have a bunch of different answers. We should all know what worship is. But when you grow up in America and you've been to American church and you hear verbiages that are in American church, it shapes the way that you see worship. One of the things you hear in American church all the time is, what time does worship start? Reality is, if you ask that question, you think worship ends. If it has a start time, it has an end time. Just to give you a heads up, the Bible shows us that worship was here before you and it will be here till the end of time, eternity. Worship does not have a start time. It, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is, is to come. There is cherubim right now around the throne doing that 24-7, 365, because worship is not a start time, end time. It is a thing of heaven. Ooh, I like that. So, so one, time, one thing we got to get rid of is what time, uh, what time does worship start? Like, well, what do I say for service now? What time does service start? All right, let's keep going. Um, another one is, uh, another question we have in American worship was, how was worship? How was worship? Now, in the midst of the toxic thing called social media, once in a great while, there will be a great pearl dropped, a truth bomb that will make you go, woo, I want to live for God. And then the other 99% of the time, it just gets spun up. But th this was one of those moments when I was on in uh, Instagram, and I was like, man, that, that's going to transform the way I process. So can I share it with you? It's a great truth. So uh, how was worship must be removed from our Christian vernacular? How was worship is a question only the object of our worship can answer. Our answer then uh, to this question is revealing what, is, what was really worshiped. Our experience has become the gauge. Thus revealing that we, in fact, don't worship God. We worship our experience of worship. In essence, we worship ourselves. Ooh, I remember I grabbed, I grabbed the Instagram. I was like, it stopped on the floor. I was like, God, I repent right now. The Instagram has shown me the light. I mean, it was one of those moments. I was like, smacked me in the face. And I, I started thinking of all the other times I asked that question. How was your meal? How was the movie? Because the reality is all those things were prepared for you. 
But worship wasn't prepared for you or for I, it was prepared for God. We shouldn't ask the question, how was worship? We should ask this question, how did I worship? How, how, how was I during worship? Was I engaged? Was, I, was, my, was my mind, my heart, my soul, was I giving God everything I have? Was I giving him praise? What, what, what was happening in worship when I was worshiping God? And isn't it funny that we always gauge the room by how we feel? You know, like the reality in this room during death was arrested, there are people in this room right now when they're worshiping like, grace so free washes. I mean, you're singing you're like, oh my gosh, Lord, he's washing over me. Like, like you're crying. And then in the same room, you got somebody going like this. Okay, dry cleaner at 11 a.m. And uh, tomorrow I got, a, I got a big meeting at 7 a.m. You know, we're free. free. Yeah, we're free, free. Am I free tomorrow? I'm not sure if I'm free tomorrow. Free, free. Yes, we're the free. No, I'm not free tomorrow. I got a lot of meetings tomorrow. Like, like that's what happens in a room. But man, if you came into the king's presence, oh, I pray that you could actually say, I know what's happened in this room. From left to right, from front to back, everybody knows we are worshiping the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Let me, uh, let me finish with this. Last question is this. It's, you'll hear this a lot of time uh, when you talk about what is worship. What type of worship does your church have? And they're talking like, is it a loud one? Before uh, Mission Church, I worked at a church in LA uh, that we wore, I had to wear a suit. Suit and tie, not like JT's suit and tie. It was like suit and tie, you know, suit and tie. We started with an organ before, like our first song was with an organ. I'm not even mad at an organ. I think we brought it back now, it'd be super cool. It'd be like retro, very cool. Um, we had an organ. Um, I would go, I remember uh, uh, touring a bunch of Bible colleges and I'd go to ones like, hey, uh, this one, you don't raise hands here. I'm like, we can't raise hands. No, you don't raise hands at this one. I'm like, okay. So, so what happens a lot if we say like, is that a hand-raising church? Is that a not hand-raising church? And you even see comedians, you know, make jokes about this. Uh, I remember Tim Hawkins came out with, you know, styles of worship of the type of church. And so he talked about, you know, is your church the one that, you know, is the hold the TV church? <laughs> or maybe you're a little bit more charismatic and you hold the big screen. <laughs> Goes off and he goes, you know, my mom, she was the window washer. You know, time out right there. And then, you, then very similar to the single lady or the single guy. I'm not gonna lie, when I was worshiping, I was trying to get a girl's attention sometimes. Don't judge me, I locked it up, okay? All right? God gave me mercy, you know, sometimes I'd be like, oh, she's right there. Your grace so free. I mean, I, I would go for it, okay? And then when you get really, really good, you start to go village people, uh, Rocky, field goal, all three in one. You're like, yes, God, yes, yes. But my, my, my personal favorite, because I love Lion King, is just the Mufasa. <laughs> so you see these things and you hear, well, okay, so worship is just the way you raise your hands. And the reality is, is that when you get around people and you hear culture define it, you hear American uh, Christianity define it, you hear a community define it, woo, we can get lost real quick. But what if we went to the Bible and had the word of God define it? What if we went to Psalm 95, maybe? Theologians say, if you want to be informed on how to worship and what is worship, this is the creme de la creme, the top of the top. I'm going to give you the best right here. Psalm 95. Here we go. Sorry, touch ID. Here we go. Uh, Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God. Everybody say great God. Sometimes it's good to say great God. Come on now. The great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his. He has made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you uh, would hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in Meribah and as you did at the day of Massah in the wilderness. Stop. 
So right there, the first eight verses, you'll see three things that informs us about worship. First verse, it shows this. It says that it says to come with joy and thanksgiving. It says to come with your emotions. I think it's fascinating. You meet some people who are real religious. Worship shouldn't be emotional. God created us to be emotional. It's a part of our being. It shows in his word that that's a part of the, we're supposed to come with emotion. Now it says in Proverbs, emotion without knowledge makes haste. So if we're just emotional with no truth, it gets, do you, did you ever, have you ever been there when you used to worship? You're like, God, whatever I feel like today in worship is really what you're saying to me. And so then you're like, oh, today's the day where I feel like I'm supposed to raise my hands. And today's the day I feel like, oh, oh, today, oh, you're, you're speaking through my emotions all the time. No, if the emotions become that big of a deal to you, you have lost truth and you've lost worship. But emotions are a part of it. Because it says right after the emotional part, you see verse six, it says your will. So in worship, it's going to impact your will. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So your actions. Worship, if it doesn't affect the way you live your life and your actions, it's no worship at all. If you're just singing a song, but it doesn't make you do things that you normally wouldn't do that would glorify God, it's not worship at all. And so it's saying to you, hey, when you get into, uh, to the presence of the king, you better kneel. You get in the presence of the all-powerful God, there better be an appropriate response. You better raise your hands. There is something about your will being um, um, led by not, no longer your own preferences, but by your king. So now you got emotions, you got your will, and last but not least, verse eight simply shows this. Do not harden your hearts as you did in Meribah and you did in Manasseh in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me. It goes on to say nine and 10. It basically shares uh, a reason. He tries to, God so kind, he tries to reason even with the mind. So you have your emotions, your will, and your mind. Just process. Last time people didn't worship, they tasted defeat. Last time they didn't worship me as king, they tasted uh, not promises, but they tasted cursing. Just process it in your mind. Reason your mind. Is worship, worshiping God the best decision for my life? Right there, it shows us that worship is emotional, it's our will, and it's also uh, our mind. So let me give you a definition real quick. I think this can help summarize it. Worship is the act of ascribing ultimate value to something that affects your whole being. Affects everything about you. So let's get to the next question. Then why don't we worship? Why don't we worship? And the real question should be, why don't we worship God? Because the, the thing that we sometimes assume is that the world is full of worshipers and then people who don't worship. We, we divide it in two. It's like, these are the people who worship and these are the people who don't worship. But the reality is, is the world's full of only one. Everybody worships. It's just that the world is divided between the, the ones who worship God, creator of heaven and earth, and the ones that worship the things that God created. Like it shows in Romans 1. So we, we, we make the things that God created an idol, and we worship those things instead of worshiping the one that created all things. So everybody's worshiping. I think some people that don't even go to church are the best worshipers I've ever met. They prioritize it. They celebrate it. They're on Instagram talking about it every day. I mean, they love themselves that thing. And they, I mean, they're, oh, I'm like, dang, that person, I get them in the house, I have them follow the Lord, they are going to set the worship culture in this house. There's something about uh, you needing to understand that you are worshiping something. Some people, you're just too busy to worship God because you're worshiping something else. God's one of the things you worship, but not the thing you worship. Let me, let me put it this way. Um, America right now, still they say there's a few hundred people that say they're Christians. So they, they believe that God is real. Um, best illustration I can use is a woman who had a necklace. And what, what Psalm 95 is trying to show you even uh, why you don't worship is you haven't processed the greatness of God. 
Uh, and so this woman has a necklace. It's, in a, it's just a normal necklace in her house. She thinks it was, it was passed down, you know, person after person. She never thought anything about it. Finally decides to take it into a jeweler. Jeweler looks at the necklace and starts losing it and says, oh my goodness, this is the necklace that Cleopatra wore. This is the necklace, all necklace. It's priceless. And the jeweler loses it. Starts giving history about the necklace, how priceless it is. I mean, literally like um, you, you could be, uh, uh, you know, a multi, 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 whatever because of this necklace. And both of them start losing it starts changing the way that they live their life because they're around this necklace. Let me read you Psalm 95 real quick again. For the Lord is great, a great God, the great king above all gods. It's just like the jeweler saying, whoo, this is a great necklace, the greatest necklace, the best necklace. The psalmist is like taking the posture of the jeweler trying to say, hey, I have assessed the world. This is the greatest God. No other God even holds a candle. I'm a jeweler. I've seen a lot of necklaces, but this is the necklace of all necklaces. It should make you process. In your house before, you knew it was just a necklace, but now you walked by it like it was just some necklace. It didn't affect your life. You tossed it aside. It didn't affect the way you live your life. But now that you know it's the best necklace of all necklaces, it's going to change the way that you look at it and the way that you operate. goes on to say in verse, uh, verse 4, In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountains' peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. The, the, the psalmist in Psalm 95 is saying, whoo, do not treat God like just some other thing in your life. He created the heavens and the earth, he holds the heavens and the earth, and he's the greatest of them all. But sadly, so many Christians are living like the woman with the necklace before she went to the jeweler. And until you really go to the word of God and you realize how great God is, you kind of treat God as just something in your life instead of the thing in your life. And what I mean by just something instead of the thing is, uh, any Harry Potter fans in the house? Any Christians who hate it? Understandable. <laughs> thing from the depths of hell? Never seen it. My wife's seen all seven. She's tried to talk me into it. Pray for me. I'm like, step away from me. Satan, I'm not going to watch that evil witchcraft movie. <laughs> Harry Potter. Um, anyways, uh, so I've never seen it, but there is this famous scene in Harry Potter. Um, I, I'm not going to lie. Rachel kind of wore me down yesterday. We might watch it. Maybe not. I don't know. Pray for me. Pray for wisdom. <laughs> Intercede. Anyways, uh, there's this mirror in the, um, in the first one called the Mirror of Erised. And it's a kid's book. All Erised is is the, the word desire spelled backwards. And if you don't know the story, Harry loses his parents. And so he looks at this mirror, uh, and his parents are, have been passed away. And he looks in this mirror, and he sees his parents in the mirror. And he doesn't understand why he sees his parents. Like, what, why are my parents in the mirror? And he's like freaked out by it. And so he goes and grabs his buddy Ron and brings Ron and says, Ron, come here, look at this mirror. And so then Ron looks at the mirror. And, and when Ron sees the mirror, Harry thinks he'll see his parents, but Ron sees himself being a sports champion, being praised for being so good at sports and being amazing at sports. And, and what they realize is when the teachers comes by and says, this is the mirror of Erised. It shows you your, your biggest desire, the thing that you want most in life that you think will satisfy you. And they said, we're going to have to get rid of it because people are, have been wasting their life away just looking in the mirror instead of living their life. And the reality is, is that if you could actually be honest with yourself, the, the, the thing that happens in our life is that the enemy has sold you a bill of goods that if you could actually look at yourself and honestly step on the scale, because the Bible says, search me, know me, test me. Reveal to me, God, what is that in the mirror? Is it a career? Is it a person? Or is it actually my king? Because when you actually start to have him at the center of it and you say, all I want is my God, better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere, Ooh, everything else falls into place. Now... Let me, let, me, let me break this down for you real quick. Worship is life and death. It's not, oh, maybe I should or maybe I shouldn't. I would not be pastoring well and I would not be a good communicator of the gospel and the word of God if I didn't put that kind of um, weight on what I'm about to say. 
2 Samuel shows us that if you don't understand worship and you don't actually worship God, that you're going to taste a lot more death than you're going to taste life. Let, let, let me prove it to you. Turn your Bible to 2 Samuel 6, verse 1. Last point is this. So we talked about what is worship, why don't we worship, now is waking up to worship. And now I'm just going to give you a lot of the content right off the bat. Reason why you haven't wake, uh, woken up to worship yet? Reason why you haven't uh, really woken up or waking up? Help me out, grammar. Grammar. Waking up or woken up? Woken up. Rachel's grammar. I'm not grammar, okay? Um, woken up to worship is because you haven't woken up to the gospel yet. And you haven't woken up to holiness yet. You haven't woken up to the seriousness of sin yet. You haven't woken up to grace yet. Because for you to wake up to worship, you need to wake up to those things first. And what's fascinating about this thing in 2 Samuel 6, if I could just kind of give you an overview, is it starts off terrible. Somebody dies in the beginning because they're not worshiping uh, and they're not reverent to God. But it ends with David, one of the most famous worship stories in all the Bible, where David dances undignified before God and he doesn't care what anybody else thinks. But it doesn't start there. David has to actually wake up to what worship is. And here's what happens. Let's, let's go to 2 Samuel 6.1. Then David uh, again gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 all. He led them to Baal of Judah to bring back the Ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord's heaven's army, who's enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from uh, Abinadab's house. The new cart, it's an, it's an ox cart. Now, we don't see those today, but it's just picture a cart pulled by oxen. Okay, that's, that's what a new cart is. There's only one other time that the Ark is uh, moved by an ox cart. And it's when the Philistines, the pagan nation, moved God's Ark on an ox cart. So pagan nation does it? Okay, but in 1 Chronicles 1, if you know the word of God at all, uh, there was instructions on how the ark should be moved. Uh, gold rings, a wooden pole, Levites were supposed to move it. David, for some reason, disregards all this. If you do some deep dive in this study, 1 Chronicles 13, 15, 17 shows the same story, and he gathers a group of people, the leaders, and they, he says, hey, what do you think about us bringing back the ark? Everybody's like, yeah, let's do it. And so they, they decide to bring back the ark. They d d devise a plan. At the very end of this uh, little part in 1 Chronicles 13, it says, and it seemed right to all the people. It's dangerous if you decide to uh, plan a worship set or plan a service by asking people instead of asking the word of God. It seemed right to us that we just do church this way seem right to us that we should just live this way. I talked to 10 people, it seemed right to us, so this is what we think is right. Ooh, that's a dangerous place to be. They didn't go to the word of God, he went to a crowd of people to process instead of the word. Go to the word, okay? And so uh, second, uh, uh, Samuel 6 shows that uh, they got the, the horse cart uh, that carried the ark of God. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. Um, I, I Googled what casting it is. I don't even know how it makes noise, but we're going to try to get one here for you, okay? Um, next week. Uh, but when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nikon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. He named the place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah, as it is still called today. Stop. So he's got a picture... Let's not read it. Let's actually process being there. So they are jamming out. Like, I mean, like, I mean, whatever song, you're a good, good father. I mean, like their drums are going, electric's going. I mean, you know, death was arrested. I'm free, free forever. I mean, they're singing like crazy. And they see Uzzah and David's like, oh my gosh, Uzzah, you're, you're bringing the ark back. We're going to do it. Woo! You know, so I mean, everybody's going nuts. They're, they're, they're emotional, but they got no truth. Very dangerous. They're emotional, but they don't have the truth of, of scripture actually leading this. It's like, woo, come on, Uzzah. Stumbles, Uzzah grabs her real quick and then dies. Can you imagine David like, Tum. cut the cymbals real quick. You, you can stop doing the casting it thing. You know, the drums, you can stop that. The light, yeah. All right, everybody, just go home. 
and David decides to return the ark somewhere else. He's afraid and he's angry. And as a pastor and as a young Christian, you read that, you're like, wow, is God just a cranky God? It's just a cranky guy like, man, nobody, you don't touch the ark, I'm gonna kill you. Uzzah, that's not at all what's happening in this moment. David and Uzzah have rejected a fundamental principle of the gospel. They don't take sin seriously at all. They don't take God's holiness seriously at all. And because of that, if you could just understand the picture here, Uzzah goes to grab and stabilize the ark, thinking that, that the dirt would actually defile the ark, but the reality is the dirt, the dirt is more righteous than Uzzah is. Uzzah doesn't understand how sinful he is. Uzzah thinks he's a good guy. I'm a good guy. I'm, I'm not a bad guy. I, I can touch the ark a little bit. I know the Bible says that the Levites have to be prepared and be clean and there has to be sacrifices, but I think I'm good enough and, and I, can, I can do this. But the reality is, is that the sin that Uzzah had cannot mix with God's holiness. So let's just, let's, just, let's just break it down real quick. So the first thing you need to wake up to is God's holiness. If you want to wake up to worship, you got to wake up to God's holiness. And, and if I can just put it the way, sin and holiness, they don't hang out. They don't like coincide. And what you're seeing here is Uzzah and David devised this plan and it was not God's plan, it was their plan. And they decided, hey, God, I know that you have a relational standard and you want to be honored with reverence and holiness and you say it to do this way, but I'm just going to put you on a cart. Let me, let me, let me backtrack to Genesis. This is going to make sense in one second. When mankind sinned for the very first time, the question God asked was this, where are you? Not a geographic question. He was asking, it was a relational question. Adam, where are you? We never used to hide things from each other. Now you're hiding something from me. Adam, where are you? You now have shame because of sin? This, what happened in a relationship? It used to be perfect. So it was a relational question. Where are you, Adam? When, 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 um, when Cain and Abel happened and Cain killed Abel, he asked, where is your brother? And another thing like, like hey, where, where are the things I treasure? Like, you don't, don't, don't destroy them, bring them to me. So another like geographic but relational question. This question is not where are you, Uzzah, or where are you, David? The question is, is where is God in this story? Where is he relationally? Where is he on the honor seat? Where is he in the holiness picture? Because once God gave us the ark, no longer was it where are you? The question is, where is God? Where is God in your life? Where is God um, in your schedule? Because if I could just put it this way, is God supposed to say, okay, I get it, guys. I know I'm a holy God. I know that I told you I'm supposed to be first. I know that I'm the all-powerful, omniscient, and I, I, I told you I can have no part of sin. But since you really don't want to follow that, since you really don't honor me, I'll just be kind of okay with sin because you're kind of okay with sin. And because you're okay with not honoring me that much, you don't care about holiness, I won't care about holiness. What is God supposed to do? It's, it's like a wall. Like You can't make a wall not be a wall. You can't make God not be holy. He's holy. And as much as it bothers me that Uzzah dies at this moment because he doesn't understand worship and the gravity of holiness, I've pastored for 17 years and I haven't seen people fall flat next to the ark and die, but I've seen relationships die. I've seen marriages break. I've seen people who you never think would be broken, but because they didn't understand where God was supposed to be in their life, their life destroyed. When God is not in the right place, it brings death. When God bring, is in the right place, it brings life. God cannot be mocked. You reap what you sow. For you to understand how important worship is. It's Proverbs, man, man's heart um, ruins his life because of his own foolishness, yet his heart rages against the Lord. David was angry at this moment, but it was foolish of him to think that they could do this. So, some of you, I, I'm praying as I'm sharing this message, that you would, even if you're watching online, I, 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 I want to I say this in the most pastoral way, 
grace is such a gift to us as, the, as, as a believer. But because of us hearing grace all the time, we don't hear holiness as much in the American church. And even myself, like, Lord, like, as I was praying, I was like, Lord, should I preach on holiness more? Should, should, I, should I talk about that more? Because if, if you don't know about holiness, then you don't know about sin. And what I mean by that is holiness and sin, a lot of Christians picture sin as candy that gives you a cavity. But sin is a predator that wants to destroy you. So sin is leaven that if you leave it untouched, it will actually permeate everything and destroy everything in the house. It's, it, it literally shows that sin is a master that wants to be your master and, and walk you to death and not walk you to life. But when you don't hear holiness a lot, you think sin is just some little thing that's like, oh, it's just, I'm not allowed to have too much candy. I'm not allowed to have too much of that. But I can no, all of that destroys all of this. And so you have to have a reverence for holiness. And you have a reverence for holiness, you start to hate sin. And not even what sin does to you, but what it did to your Savior. It put him on the cross. Let's keep going. David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So to be honest, before you uh, wake up to the good news, you need to wake up to the bad news. So David's now like, okay, so if Uzzah can, he was a good guy, he was, he was one of us, he's you know, nice guy, living life well. If Uzzah can bring him back, how can I bring him back? Man, I, oh no, I'm dipped, like I'm dipped in my sin, I'm not strong enough, I'm not good enough. Maybe David started believing in his press, like I'm king, wow, look what I did. At that moment, he was afraid because he had no idea how to get to God's presence anymore. And so he goes to the scriptures. And some of you, if I'm being honest, uh, before you go to the scriptures, all you know is the bad news. But once you go to the scripture, you start to see the good news. You'll see Isaiah, when he sees the sin, it's just bad news. I'm done in my sin, and then the seraphim touches him, and he's redeemed. You see Peter, he feels like he's not good enough, and he's terrible. Get away from me, I'm so sinful. But then, of course, God redeems him of his sin. There's something to be said of us understanding that we're dipped without God. And... I wish it wasn't the most common story in church, but one of the most common stories of why people fall into love with the Lord is because they've been broken somewhere. And again, it's, it's God's mercy to allow us to go through that breaking to show us, man, we need him. And, and my hope is, is that there's two ways to learn in life, pain and wisdom. Like I, I, I've been through some painful things, and because of that, I've realized I can't do things in my own strength, in my own charisma, in my own academics. And the more and more I get older, I'm like, Lord, man, I learn from wisdom. I don't, I don't need to be broken for you to remind me that you're good. I don't need to be broken for you to remind me that you're merciful. I don't need to be broken for you to remind me that you're first in my life. There's just something about graduating in that moment. So you need to wake up to the bad news before you wake up to the good news. So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Now, why, why did bless Obed-Edom and not Uzzah? Obed-Edom was, uh, was a priest. He was a Levite priest. And one of the Old Testament laws and rules and standards was a priest was the one that actually had to deal with the ark. Uh, Moses, it, it, the, the, the ark wasn't a bad thing. It actually says this in, in the Old Testament with Moses. Jesus said, I will meet you over the mercy seat, which was the slab of gold on the ark, and they would talk face to face. So if you actually were a priest and you were prepared, you could come to the, the ark and you could actually lean on it and talk to God face to face. And what's amazing is the New Testament, Jesus actually made us all priests. So all of you can now gain access to the presence of God. None of us has to be afraid like Uzzah. Now, here's what David does. So David went through uh, and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and fattened calf. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy, blowing of rams and horn. Little Psalm 95 right there. Stop. 
we can repass that and understand that you need to wake up to the cost of the gospel. So he walked six steps. It's like, I don't know, eight miles, 14,000 steps. Six steps, and then would sacrifice something, and then worship, and then go another six steps. If you know anything about sacrifice back then, sacrifice is what made you worthy to be able to um, uh, enter the presence of God. It was the price that would, had to be paid for sin. But when you were sacrificing something, you had to put your hands on it. You had to know it. You had to see it take its last breath. It was a personal thing. There was a cost to it. And the reality is, is that I don't need to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to see the Gospel. I can go to 2 Samuel 6. And it is a mirror of the Gospel of all Gospels. That, that for you to understand the price that was being paid was, was David was putting his hand on a living thing saying, you must die so I can live. You must die so the people of Israel can have uh, God's presence. You must pay the price so I can keep moving. I'm, I'm, I'm stuck here if you don't die. I'm paralyzed uh, in my sin if you, if you don't die, so you have to die. And, and he would take the life. There is a cost. You gotta wake up to the good news. You don't move if Jesus didn't die. You don't go forward in life if Jesus didn't pay the price. You don't have the abundance of wealth and joy and peace if Jesus uh, uh, didn't die on that cross. You gotta wake up to the gospel. You wake up to the gospel, you worship a little bit different. David is like, thank you that, that this ox was willing to pay the price, that I had an oxen to give so I can now worship my God freely. Let's keep going. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like a vulgar person might do. One of the more famous parts of the Bible right here. David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me. Everybody say chose. chose. Come on now, you got to wake up to that. Some of you think you chose God. No, God chose you. Yeah. Some of you think that you found God. No, he found you. Okay? God was never lost. You were the one lost. Chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, I'm willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I'm distinguished. Stop. If you want to wake up to worship, you need to wake up to grace. The reason why David was so willing to worship like a fool is because he knew he was chosen by God. Now, um, you need to know something about Michael real quick. The religious brain will explode when you read the Bible. Michael is the daughter of a king. She uh, knows all the right things to do. And when God decides to pick his person to have his lineage birth through, he picks the adulterer that is marked by Bathsheba instead of Michael. Over and over again, you'll see God pick the one that you never would pick. I, I even think of David when he's worshiping. He like, his retort when she's like, what are you doing looking so foolish, David? I was picked. God chose me. He didn't say, like, I chose God. Here's what no, he goes. You want to know why I'm acting like this? Because I know I was chosen. Well, how do you know you're chosen? Because nobody else would pick me, Michael. My own dad wouldn't even pick me to be in the room when they were picking. Hey, we're having a picking party. Keep David out. David wasn't even allowed to come in the picking party, the choosing party. And so Samuel's looking for the next king, and his dad doesn't even think he's fit to be picked. Well, it couldn't be David. He's young. couldn't be David. He's not the smartest guy. can't be David. I mean, he's, he's kind of emotional. He's always worshiping. He's got his harp. Why, God, why? But I will trust in your love. Couldn't be the emotional guy. And then David comes in, and and for the first time, he's chosen. And that never left him. And if I could submit to you real quick, to the people in the room that looked overlooked, sometimes you feel overlooked. And you've been chosen. I love that you don't define my wealth. 
I love that you don't define my worth. I love that you don't define my promises. I love that when I look at my life that God didn't pick me because I'm good. He picked me because he's good. And when we get to live our life as believers, if you don't wake up to grace, you'll never really wake up to what worship is. You don't have to worship. Man, I get to because he picked me. And because he picked me, I'm going to worship in a way that the world knows that I'm his and he is mine. I, I think of this uh, little thing I wrote down. If you refuse to see God the way he, you're supposed to see him, you're just going to miss out. And so when I worship God, I worship God as trustworthy. And when I worship my God as trustworthy, guess what happens? Fear dies. Because if you don't have a, a God that's trustworthy, you're going to worry about everything. Being a mobile church and being a church that's in a pandemic, every week I have to go like this, God, I trust that you have a plan for Mission Church. God, I trust that you're the one that is directing our steps and that you're not done with the house. You're not done with people. Because the reality is if I don't trust God, I'll die of worry. Uzzah completely died, but, but I could die of worry if I didn't trust God, if I didn't worship with a trusting God, a trustworthy God. Here's what I know. If I, if I don't worship a merciful God, I'll be destroyed by guilt. If I don't come to God and, and worship a God, you chose me and you're merciful. Oh, you're so merciful. And when I worship a merciful God, I worship with a freeness. Oh, it's not what I did this week. If your worship depends on how good you were this week, you're still missing it. Some of you are like, oh, I just, this was a bad week. I, if you knew what I did, I just, I just feel weird to worship this week. You need to worship a God who's merciful. And you won't die of guilt anymore. You'll worship with freedom and grace. You'll wake up to a kind of, it will change the way you worship. Another type of worship is something like this. When you refuse to worship a God who is sovereign and who's holy, you'll get destroyed by pride and selfishness. Because when you don't think God is sovereign, you actually think that you're in charge. Your birth here, at this moment, around these people, you, like some people who are even like successful in business, you could have been birthed somewhere else in the world and not been able to have that business. He's that sovereign. But we get so prideful, we think we did something. If you don't see him as sovereign that directs your steps from A to Z, author, finisher, oh, you just get prideful. And if you don't see him as holy, ooh, this is gonna mess you up. And last but not least, if you, see, if you see God as good and eternal, you'll be destroyed by fear. If you don't think God's a good God, if you don't think he's gonna leverage this season, if you don't think he's an eternal God, if you're living for the temporary, fear's just gonna always grip you. You're gonna have your hands on this world way too much instead of have your hands open to heaven. So many people are trying to hold on to stuff right now and not trying to lose it. And God's actually trying to give them something completely different. It's called heaven. You'd worship different. Will you bow your heads with me? I don't know if it's your first time or second time in church, but if you want to say yes to Jesus, yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to blessing, no to cursing. The Bible says very clearly that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. If you want to say yes to salvation, you want to say yes to Jesus today. Oh, we were praying for you. We are praying that people would come to church today. Maybe this is you that... I remember I was that person that never would come to church. For some reason, you came to church today praying that you would get saved today and change your life, that you would say yes to Jesus. With every head bowed and eye closed, you want to say yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to salvation. I want you to raise your hand and catch my eye. I want to pray for you. Go ahead and raise it. I see you, and I see you. God bless you. In the middle, go ahead and raise your hand. I want to see you. My left to your right, if you want to say yes to Jesus, go ahead and raise it. I want to pray for you. I see you in the back. God bless you. God, I pray that Mission Church would be a church that wouldn't worship the way our culture tells us to worship, but we would worship the way the Bible shows us. 
that there would be emotion in it, that we would be joyful and come with thanksgiving and we would shout. But not only that, God, that we would, we would understand that it should affect our will, that we would raise hands, that we would bow before our God. And God, that we would reason these things. There's no other God but you. No other God worthy of our worship. God, we repent, God, for making worship something it was never supposed to be. Oh, may we live for you. Oh, we love you. We love you. Right, said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.